Hello, I'm Amanda Young. You are listening to the Aberdeen Sustainability Inspires podcast, discussing all things relating to sustainable investing. Today, we're talking about the unstoppable force of women and their role in finance. And I cannot think of a better guest to have than Catherine Bradley. Welcome to our podcast, Catherine. Good morning, Amanda. Thank you for having me. So let me start by telling you a little bit about Catherine. We are extremely lucky at Aberdeen to have had her appointed to our board in January 2022. She brings with her more than 30 years of experience in financial services, which includes executive experience advising global financial institutions and industrial companies on complex transactions and strategic opportunities. She brings knowledge from working across Europe and Asia, serving on boards of leading consumer-facing companies and working with regulators and standard setters. Catherine holds a number of non-executive positions, including at Johnson Electric Holdings, EasyJet and Kingfisher. Now, in her career, Catherine has served on the boards of leading industrial consumer-facing companies in a number of countries, UK, France and Hong Kong, and she was appointed by Her Majesty's Treasury to the board of the Financial Conduct Authority in 2014 and played an important role in establishing the FICC Market Standards Board in 2015. At the FCA, Catherine was chair of the Audit Committee a member of the Nomination and Risk Committees and a whistleblower champion for the FCA staff. Catherine stepped down from these boards in 2020 and between 2021 and 2022, she was also a board member of the Value Reporting Foundation where she co-chaired the Audit Committee. Now, in her executive career, Catherine held a number of senior finance roles in investment banking and risk management in the US with Merrill Lynch, in the UK and Asia with Credit Suisse, and finally in Asia with Societe Generale. She returned to Europe in 2014 to start her non-executive career. Prior to her career starting, she graduated from the HEC Paris School of Management with a major in finance and international economics and was awarded a CBE in 2019 for public service. Now, outside of her illustrious career, Catherine is interested in pottery as well as her soon-to-be-four granddaughters. So welcome, and let's start the conversation uh, with a really interesting question, Catherine, about your hobby-making, pottery. Now, you probably don't know this, but I'm a secret fan of the great pottery throwdown on television, so I would love to hear about what interests you in pottery and the things you most enjoy making. Uh, I learned pottery when I was in Asia and now I continue I go to a studio where on the Isle of Wight where we've got a, a small cottage I love it because uh, it's humbling you never know how things will turn out you use your your hands not your brains mm-hmm. and also it makes you to chat with uh, local people just understand what their priorities what their needs are uh, it's magic be careful, Amanda. If I know when your birthday is, you might end up getting a very shabby chic salad bowl. I think I'd love a shabby chic salad bowl. Thank you so much. Um, now, you've had an illustrious career in financial services. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into financial services and maybe the different things that you have done? 
the whole family were medics for several generations, so I knew I didn't want to be a medic. I was meant to be an engineer, but that meant focusing very too quickly <laughs> on math, on, uh, on very scientific topics, and I didn't want to give up business affairs, so I turned to business instead. I uh, started my life, I've got a strong French accent, <laughs> but I've never worked in France. I started in uh, in the US, then in the UK, and then finally Asia for six years. Uh, what has always kept me going is I'm a strong structurer. Mm -hmm. So it's strong structuring skills, maybe from the engineering days. And then you apply it to people. I was in charge of all my life of what you use derivatives to fulfill a corporate um, big companies' uh, plans like M&A mm -hmm. or uh, other corporate actions. So it's always working the beginning of the week with CEOs, having the emotional skills to understand what they really wanted to achieve, and then the rest of the week trying to de-risk it. Mm -hmm. So that has kept me going all my life, more and more senior, but always clinging to the strong technical knowledge. Mm -hmm. Now, today's sustainability topic is around women and finance, and in particular, your career from executive to non-executive. Um, many women and men listening to this will be interested in understanding how you transitioned out of these executive positions that you've been talking about and into the non-executive space. Perhaps you can tell us a little bit about your own career change and what were the things that surprised you or things you feel people should look out for? Uh, well, the first thing is uh, is a word of warning. Mm -hmm. Non-exec career is not suited for everybody. Uh, why? You're no longer in the driving seat. You're no longer a CEO or head of strategy or whatever. What you do is that you empower people to maybe perhaps do the right thing. You've got to devise mm -hmm. to, to make sure they implement the right strategy. Uh, so if you're still a kind of a racehorse, mm -hmm. a greyhound, loving to get success and loving to be uh, complimented for your success, it might not be for you. Also, especially in the UK and some European and countries and in the US, there is a heavy yeah. level of regulations, compliance, especially if you work for a financial institution. Mm -hmm. So first is a word of caution. But this being said, in my case, it's been a huge joy you discover when you move to a non-exec that you know many more things than your narrow field of expertise. Mm -hmm. It's a joy also to work in other sectors and the joy to move further and further away from your comfort zone. Uh, it's a joy also to keep working with different generations, with different kind of people. Suddenly, I've become a guru in sustainability, I hope, and in digital, <laughs> in all kinds of, of other things. So... I would say test yourselves whilst you're still in executive career and because there is ageism, uh, start taking a first role, see how you would like it so that you don't have to make a sudden plunge from non-exec to exec. Or the other way around, oh. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> now, that's really helpful. Um, I think there's many people who um, believe that this is a career path, but I like your um, guidance that it's not for everybody. Um, so perhaps you can touch now on what it's been like being a woman in finance, particularly in Asia. You spent many years out there. What are the challenges you faced and how did you learn to navigate the gender and the diversity divide in Asia? And what have you seen over the past three decades in terms of change? 
Uh, yes, I mean, I, I was aware of diversity and having been the only woman for many, many years in my career without any role model, without anybody to look up to. But Asia was especially useful for me because then I was in the minority seat. And you always, always for diversity, you have to make, to go the extra, the extra lens. You have to put yourself in the shoes of whoever, whoever is opposite you. Whenever I was walking into a Chinese meeting, I always had to remind myself, you're a woman and you're French. Why? Because in my eyes, I was a business person and mm -hmm. I was making things happen. But you have to remember how you look to other people, what they might feel. And then you can also, a big rule is always try to change your own behavior towards them, not always expecting them to change you. When you're in Asia, you're a guaylo, you know, guaylo, you're yeah. a foreigner, many a Westerner, you're a white ghost. So you've always got to remember, and it's good, I think, for any lessons in life, how do I look to other people? And then once I've understood their standpoint, maybe I can help to change it, pave the way, show that I'm more than just a French white woman, and <laughs> we can move, move further away. So it's been very helpful to me all my life after that. You do the first step towards people and hopefully diversity and inclusion can happen. So it's very much about adapting to your environment, um, which I just think is, is yes. a wonderful way to approach it. Now, I've often heard women complain that promotions go to men who spend a lot of time chit-chatting at the water cooler while they just get their heads down and you know carry on working to deliver. I've heard you touch on this in the past, the importance for developing soft skills beyond just an output and delivery in the workplace. Maybe you can touch on that uh, and what you've learned in your career from those soft skills. Yeah. This is not a very positive picture because if you look especially, so on the, I've been on engineering boards, WS Atkins, I was on the board of Peugeot, the car company, or in FIG, I see at Aberdeen, or even, I mean, in other sectors. When you look at what happens to women aged, let's say, 25 to 35 and beyond, you still have the same stats, extremely low retention and women not getting there. So there are several problems. One could be, I mean, we women, what we do ourselves. Often, I mean, it's dangerous to make a stereotype, but often as women, we feel, oh, because I've got a good job, surely people will spot it and surely I'll be rewarded for it. Mm. Ah, it's clearly not enough. And the, I mean, the same would apply to a man as well. Mm -hmm. You need subtly to blow your horn. <laughs> you need subtly to make sure, I mean, whether even if you're fantastic, you need to make sure people are aware of it. And mm. another key thing is, are you very honest? Do people know what you want? Do you, you yourself, do you know what you want? Do you want the next job? Do you want the next promotion? And if you, if yes, have you clearly mentioned it? Have you clearly st said that it's a goal of yours? I find somehow, especially maybe for women, we spend our time having a puzzle. We want the kids to be happy. We want the partner to be happy. It's a puzzle. And as soon as a bit of the puzzle falls off, we are it's difficult. So as a result, we tend to just make do instead of always having the next goal in mind. So I would say don't hesitate to anchor what your next move should be. Make it known. And you don't need to be by the cooler, but certainly have conversations with colleagues. Don't be shy. That's really helpful to to hear you speak of that need to to actually challenge yourself and work out what it is you want. Now, you've just 
alluded to this, but one of the challenges many women face is that balance between family and work. This is often because much of the home and childcare still falls onto women, even those who are working full time. And we saw that um, sort of really exacerbated during COVID. How did you manage it uh, in your own career? And do you have any top tips that you can impart to working mothers? So I think things has improved, at least during my days. I don't think my husband had a clue where the nappies were left, actually. So it was really <laughs> down to me and down to the helper. Whereas I see my son, I see my son-in-law, they are completely interchangeable with their wives, with their partners. They just, mm-hmm. so at least now the childcare, when there's two, two, uh, two persons in a couple, the, the childcare is, uh, is spread, but it's just mm-hmm. immensely difficult. I find, especially in the UK, childcare is very expensive, uh, I mean, yep. it's a tough decision to decide to go to work or to stay at home to take care of your child. And I see with my daughters, the school stops at 3.30. So what do you do between 3.30 and 6? Well, again, you pay somebody to take care of it. So now it's easier because partners do team effort when they are to, if there are partners. But definitely the government should help more. And then... Mm-hmm. I think what really helped me all my life was I didn't have much time with the children because I was traveling a lot, but I always make sure that the time with them was quality time. It was Blackberries in these days. It's yeah. phone now, but don't show your child that you prefer your <laughs> phone compared to your to your child. And in my case, what saved me was a scooter, a motorbike. I had a motorbike for seven years. Why? Because in London, I mean, it can be, it takes a long time and it's unpredictable to come to the other side of the town to attend the Christmas carol. So I had a scooter and that's made me attend every single child event at the school and then go back to work if I had to. Uh, I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a really practical piece of advice. Get a scooter so you don't miss out on, on the child recitals. Absolutely fantastic. Health warning, wear your helmet. <laughs> yes, but wear your helmet, absolutely. <laughs> and now we're at that stage in the podcast where I ask my guests for something to inspire our listeners on sustainability. It's normally a book, a film, or an experience. And now while today's sustainability topic is about gender diversity and, and inclusion, I would love you to tell our listeners what inspired you on the broader sustainability agenda. I believe it's a film, perhaps something that happened over a decade ago. Yes, that's going to show my age. But what really got me, I mean, we all think that uh, sustainability is a new thing. But what really got me going was when I was, I think it was in 2009 in Asia, and I went with clients to see a film by Al Gore called mm-hmm. An Inconvenient Truth. Yeah. And it was quite candid, powerful. It was an informative document. It was shocking. And it was, it was trying to use intelligence rather than fear. So it's a bit passé and the style was a bit the kind of like a prophetic sermon (laughs) of what would happen. But it just kept me going ever since. Uh, What can we do in our daily life to to save the planet? So that will keep me going. (laughs) That's wonderful to hear. And and it's great to know that that film did inspire people in the way it has done. Now, as we draw to the end of our podcast, can we perhaps touch on what your hopes and ambitions are for continued progress and equality across financial services. So if you had a crystal ball and could wish for anything, what would it be? I would like women to enjoy themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Things are better. Things are getting better. 
I'm sure one day we won't need any quotas. And we're talking about women, but I'm talking about any minority. Ideally, we won't have to talk about that anyway. We'll just have... Made, we'll just have made sure that we had the right nursery, the right skills. Mm-hmm. We started seeing soon enough for the best people to come for the job. Uh, at the moment, it's still too much for a sort of a case where we rush to get a headhunter to to get us to to find the right people, or we rush to to pinch people from a competitor. Mm. I do think, I do wish that we will do long term uh, efforts getting people from minority gra- backgrounds or uh, varied backgrounds, but get reaching out to them when they are 10, when they are 15, so that by the time they are 40, they are the CEOs of our, uh, of our companies. So. Absolutely brilliant. Um, so I've got one final question. What's the one piece of advice, if you had it, to give women listening to you today? That's advice I've learned actually during COVID. I'm on the board of EasyJet, for instance, and we had some real crises to manage. Mm-hmm. So I'd just say, Three, three steps. And we can use the same when we are late to pick up our kids or when there is a need for a rights issue, anything. Step one, do not panic. <laughs> we always tend to panic, to worry. Block it. Step two, do what is needed. If you're good, you always know what you need to do to sort the problem. And step three, treat others with respect. Even when things are tough, even when you're unhappy, even when you think shit should, should get much, much better, treat others with respect and then things will get right. These are the three recipes I use all the time and it works and I enjoy myself. Oh, well, I'm definitely going to uh, remember not to panic, do what's needed and treat others <laughs> with respect. What a great podcast from uh, Scooters to Pottery um, and not panicking. So Catherine, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an absolute delight to have you with us. Thank you, Amanda. Same here. Goodbye. And my best, best wishes for Aberdeen colleagues. You've been listening to the Aberdeen podcast, Sustainability Inspires, aiming to help you get inspired and get involved. To all those who have taken time to tune in, many thanks for listening. You can find all of our podcasts on our website. Tune in to our next podcast where Eva Ken speaks to Professor Martin Stukai, who joins us to discuss the value of natural capital and its role in sustainable future. Until then, goodbye for now. This podcast is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is provided for informational purposes only and should not be considered as an offer, investment recommendation or solicitation to deal in any of the investments or products mentioned herein and does not constitute investment research. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of Aberdeen. The companies discussed in this podcast have been selected for illustrative purposes only or to demonstrate our investment management style and not as an investment recommendation or indication of their future performance. The value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up and investors may get back less than the amount invested. Past performance is not a guide to future returns, return projections or estimates and provide no guarantee of future results.